Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Leah, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Friday, July 20th. Today we're reading from the big book, the forward to the second edition. The reference number for yesterday's meeting, yesterday, Thursday, July 19th, is 2720. That's 2720 is the share code for yesterday's meeting. Our readers for today are Monica, Rick, Sharon, and Paula. And I thank you for your participation. OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. The sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At Vision for You Big Book Study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now call on Sophia to read the 12 steps. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, Sophia Compulsive Overeater. One, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, we're entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for the knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, We try to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you. Thank you, Sophia. I will now call on Robin to read the 12 traditions. Hi, this is Robin. I'm a compulsive overeater. 
The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon AA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God, as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for AA membership is a desire to stop drinking. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or AA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the alcoholic who still suffers. Six, an AA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the AA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every AA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Alcoholics Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, AA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Alcoholics Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, hence the AA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, Robin. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and the literature we are discussing, and please keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year, and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute, and once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. And today we resume our study of the big book. We are in the forward to the second edition. This share code for yesterday's meeting, yesterday's Thursday, July 19th, share code 2720. That's 2720. We have four readers today. They are Monica, Rick, Sharon and Paula in that order. And good morning to you, Monica. Good morning, and thank you, Leah. Good morning, everyone. My name is Monica. I am a compulsive overeater. Forward to the second edition. Figures given in this forward describe the fellowship as it was in 1955. Since the original forward to this book was written in 1939, a wholesale miracle has taken place. Our earliest printing voiced the hope that every alcoholic who journeys will find the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous at his destination. 
already continues the early text, twos and threes and fives of us have sprung up in other communities. So in just 16 years here, a wholesale miracle. This is moving up, moving out. The printing voiced hope, hope that every alcoholic who journeys will find fellowship. And that's our hope to everyone who's listening, who's starting this journey with us. And this chapter is also a, um, a historical account of the first 20 years of our program of Alcoholics Anonymous. And with that, I will pass. Thank you, Monica. Would anybody else like to share on what was read? This is Sharon. Please go ahead, Sharon. I am, uh, the the thing that pops out at me in that paragraph is wholesale miracle. Wholesale miracle. And wholesale is uh, something that's, um, you look at it, it's, it's a blanket. I looked it up. It's made or accomplished extensively and indiscriminately blanket in large bulk. So it's something that um, there's a price that's paid for something that's wholesale, but it's, it's at rock bottom. The price is rock bottom. It's a quantity sale. And when I look at the recovery that we receive by studying this book, it's, that's what happens. It's something that uh, the price is low. It's in large quantities. Anybody can receive it. There's, there's an abundance of it for all that would want it. And yet here's a miracle. But we realize that the miracle is not free. A price has to be paid. It's not a big price, but something has to be given up. And, uh, for me, I had to give up my way of life in order to get this miracle. I had to give up uh, my old way of thinking, my old way of living. Uh, and I had to give up resentments and anger and selfishness and self-will. But a wholesale miracle is something for, is for me, the hope of this book. That's what this book has to offer me and for anyone who's open to receive it. And I pass. Thank you, Sharon. Would anyone else like to comment on what was read? Please go ahead. Thank you. Janice, I, if that's you, you're cutting out. So uh, we're going to move on. Anybody else like to comment on what was read? This is Paula. May I comment, please? Please. Go ahead. Thank you. It says here, our earliest printing voiced the hope. You know, you think of printing, you don't think you hear a voice. But it's very clear that we hear a voice when we come to this book. The hope that every alcoholic, and doesn't leave out anybody, not anyone is left out here. Every alcoholic who journeys, your journey may be different than mine. And I'm surely it is. We'll find the fellowship of Alcohol Anonymous. Now here we come together at his destination. And there it is. Thank you so for allowing me to share. And with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Yes, my name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. 
uh, on this paragraph and in the forward to the second edition, it's going to speak about the miraculous increase in AA. We're going to be reading the history and the miraculous increase in AA in the groups and in the membership that occurred in the in the 16 years from the first printing to now, uh, 1955. So obviously the uh, book Alcoholics Anonymous came off the press in 1939. It was the 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 group uh, conscience, the the experience, it was the collected experience and voices and message of hope from those who had recovered. And we're going to read a brief account. It says, our earliest printing voiced the hope that every alcoholic who journeys will find the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous at his destination. Remember, prior to the book Alcoholics Anonymous, there was no hope for, for an alcoholic. You know, they either, you know, continued to lie in the gutter until their death, met the gates of insanity, and were locked up in insane asylums. There was no hope. You know, they were looked at as uh, sinners and and people who uh, were completely mentally uh, ill, and there was no hope. Men in medicine stood powerless by their bedsides. Uh, the, the clergymen could offer no remedies. You know, and men of science stood powerless. They knew not what to do. This message of hope that people could not only become sober, they could stay sober. They could stay sober. They could recover from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. That was good news. That is the trail that was blazed by these men and women who had recovered that there was hope for these people, that they did not need to live and be in bondage of the shackles of alcoholism any longer. It was a message of hope. It was great news, and it was available to anybody, just like today. It's available to anyone. And with that, I pass. Would anyone else like to comment on that first paragraph? Okay. Then we will move on to Rick, please. Good morning. My name is Rick. I'm a compulsive overeater. Sixteen years have elapsed between our first printing of this book and the presentation in 1955 of our second edition. In that brief space, Alcoholics Anonymous has mushroomed into nearly 6,000 groups whose membership is far above 150,000 recovered alcoholics. Groups are to be found in each of the United States and all of the provinces of Canada. AA has flourishing communities in the British Isles, the Scandinavian countries, South Africa, South America, Mexico, Alaska, Australia, and Hawaii. All told, promising beginnings have been made in some 50 foreign countries and U.S. possessions. Some are just now taking shape in Asia. Many of our friends encourage us by saying that this is but a beginning, only the augury of a much larger future ahead. Well, what strikes me is the very last sentence where they continue, the the authors continue to predict uh, the future. When we saw in the forward to the first edition, they were expecting uh, great things. And in 1955, they were indicating that 
their work had just begun and that the numbers would still be blossoming. So with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Rick. Anyone else like to comment on what was read? Hi, this is Kim. Kim, please go ahead. This is Janice. Kim and then Janice. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. And this is just so exciting. You know, the the growth is is just astronomical. It says, in this brief space of 16 years, Alcoholics Anonymous has mushroomed into nearly 6,000 groups whose membership is far above 150,000 recovered alcoholics. And why was that happening? I mean, was Bill and Bob doing a bus tour across the United States and talking to everybody? No, it was this book. This book was being published and around, and people were going through these first 164 pages. They were becoming recovered, and then they were spreading this message by spreading this book and spreading the program of recovery. It's not only that there's 6,000 groups, but there's 150,000 recovered alcoholics, meaning that these people have implemented these steps, they have become recovered, and they're now passing it on. And the growth in here, the mushrooming, I remember last year was such a wet spring how I'd walk my dogs one day, and the next day there would be all these mushrooms. It, it just, it happened so quickly because this program works and because by implementing these steps, each of us has the possibility to become recovered and that, and then in turn, passing it on to another suffering compulsive overeater. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Janice, please. Thank you, Leah. My name is Janice. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And they're talking here about this continuation of this wholesale miracle, this wholesale miracle. And that's a pretty large word with a very big meaning to use, miracle. But how could it be anything but these people who had always been doomed, doomed by this disease? There had been no hope before this program in this way. And so it's beautiful to see that it continued. It continued, you know, from those very early beginnings of twos and threes and fives, it continued. And now it's going across continents. Now it's going country to country not just within this little community where it started. You know, and the promise of the future, that word augury, the promise of the future was being shown in the growth of AA. And it was pretty pretty spectacular because they they like to say the best predictor of future behavior is past behavior. And we're seeing in this behavior of people grabbing onto this big book, reading this big book, using the information there, using the 12 steps, recovering. And it says our friends encourage us. Many of our friends encourage us. And that says to me, the wider community, people who were watching from the outside, the physicians and the scientists and the friends of those who loved these alcoholics were seeing this growth. And it was a miracle. It was a miracle. It was growing by leaps and bounds because people were getting sober and staying sober, and it was starting to affect the communities. So AA was starting to be seen as something that was pretty miraculous and that there was an answer. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. Anyone else on what was read? This is Sharon. Please go ahead, Sharon. 
I'm uh, looking at this last sentence. Many of our friends encourage us by saying that this is but a beginning, only the augury of a much larger future ahead. Augury meaning a foretelling, a foretelling of what's to come. When I read that, I, when I read that, I think about um, as we, in our individual recovery, when we begin, when, we, when you first start, when you first put down that, that spoon, put, when you first put down that fork, that's just the beginning. That's just the augury. You, the augury, you see the foretelling when you hear of another compulsive overeater that's recovered. When you uh, come on the line, when you go to your meeting and you hear recovered people and you get the hope, you get the, you're encouraged, you see that this can happen to you and you realize that by putting that foot, that fork down, it's an augury and each day that you do that, you've got that hope, that encouragement, that of a brighter future of a of a larger future ahead so one day at a time um, this big book the story that is told is also the story of our own individual lives what what will happen as we get abstinent we, we will start walking into a larger and larger and a brighter future and I pass thank you Sharon this is Leia, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Uh, again, focusing on these two statements here. Sixteen years have elapsed between our first printing of this book and the presentation in 1955 of our second edition. In that brief space, Alcoholics Anonymous has mushroomed into nearly 6,000 groups whose membership is far above 150,000 recovered alcoholics. Remember, these men and women had an aim. They had a goal, and they had objectives and an objective, and uh, they witnessed this transformation, this conversion in each other. This was possible. This was possible. That's why they had penned, rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. Remember, recovered, recovered, not just the mere elimination of alcohol, but a restored life, a renewed life, a rehabilitated life. You know, AA mushroom because of two primary factors. Number one, men and women who were doomed to die in the gutter or be locked up in insane asylums, they got sober and they stayed sober. And two, families were reunited. The families were reunited. So AA was conceived, it was born, and it lives today as a spiritual program. We're going beyond the physical. We're going beyond an intellectually guided mind. We're looking for a spirit-guided mind because it's in the spirit that we can get to a place called recovered. So my observation as I read this of AA is two things. One, that AA is a fellowship of men and women. Indeed it is. Indeed it is. And it was sprouting up like mushrooms in many communities, towns, cities. And number two, it's a program of recovery from alcoholism. Now, nobody ever intended it to be a fellowship of men and women. That wasn't the intention. The intention of the over 100 men and women who had recovered, their intention was to publish a book and let people find the spiritual conversion through the action of those steps. And indeed, that happened. And out of that 
banded together a fellowship, a fellowship of hope, a fellowship of instruction, a fellowship of support, a fellowship of love, a fellowship of love. And with that, I pass. Would anyone else like to comment on that paragraph? Hi, this is Amy. Please go ahead, Amy. Good morning. My name is Amy. I am a compulsive overeater. I also would like to comment on this idea that this was just a beginning. You know, if you run a business or you publish a book, one would think that over a period of time to grow from 100 recovered folks or, you know, to grow from, I don't know how many percentages it would be, I'm not a, you know, a numbers person, to grow from 100 to 150,000 to go into a second edition, a second publishing, you would think that, if you were running a business, you'd be pretty content with that. But that would be like, wow, you know, we're doing really well here. I mean, Bill and Bob could have said, you know what, we're doing really well here. We can rest on our laurels. This is just heading, it's growing, it's mushrooming. This is more than we could ever imagine. But as we read in the preface the other day, the whole reason for these additions was to represent a current membership of Alcoholics Anonymous Alcoholics Anonymous more accurately, and therefore to reach more alcoholics. Bill and Bob understood, as Leah was said, this is this is a God program. You know, with all things God are possible. They were not content to say, "Well, this growth is great. It's fantastic. It's actually miraculous. We want more. How can we reach with God's help?" With another edition, with a second edition, how can we reach another suffering alcoholic? How can we get out there and reach more? And I feel we of Overeaters Anonymous need to take this same type of attitude, which is we should not be content in our meetings to just share our message within the meetings. We need to be out there carrying the message to the still-suffering compulsive overeater. We must never rest on our laurels. It is an integral part of our program to give what we have so generously been given. If we are recovered, our purpose and the purpose of this book is to carry the message to the still-suffering compulsive overeater. We do the footwork, and we let God take it from there. And when God takes it, man, does it go somewhere, like it's doing here in the second edition over a 16-year period. And as we will continue to see the growth through the forward to the third edition and forward to the, and forward to the fourth edition. But we must carry the message. That is our sole purpose, a seemingly hopeless disease to transformed and recovered lives. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Amy. And with that, we're going to move on to our next reader. Sharon, please. The Spark. This is Sharon, uh, recovered compulsive overeater. The spark that was to flare into the first AA group was struck in Akron, Ohio, in June 1935 during a talk between a New York stockbroker and an Akron physician. Six months earlier, the broker had been relieved of his drink obsession by a sudden spiritual experience. Following a meeting with an alcoholic friend who had been in contact with the Oxford groups of that day, he had also been greatly helped by the late Dr. William D. Silkwood, a New York specialist in alcoholism, who is now accounted no less than a medical saint by AA members and whose story of the early days of our society appears in the next pages. From this doctor, 
the broker had learned the grave nature of alcoholism. Though he could not accept all the tenets of the Oxford groups, he was convinced of the need for moral inventory, confession of personality defects, restitution to those harmed, helpfulness to others, and the necessity of belief in the dependence upon God. And I would like to focus on that very last uh, part of, of the last sentence, the necessity of belief in the dependence upon God. And there it doesn't say that we, we, we can't just have belief. There is also a need for dependence upon God. And, and Bill became convinced that this is what it would take to get recovered. He had a spiritual experience. Out of that spiritual experience, he received recovery. But it wasn't just enough to have the spiritual experience. There was yet more that he needed to do. But it was critical, he realized, for recovery that a person have a belief in and a dependence upon God. When, when you're dependent upon God, you can't go without God. You, when you have that dependence, dependence means that you can't be free, that that, that has to go with you everywhere. That, that is a part of you that's attached to you, the necessity of belief. So we have to believe that there's something greater than us. We have to believe in a higher power. But just believing isn't going to take us to that point of recovery. We have to go to the point of dependence. What does it require to become dependent upon God? That's what we learn as we study the big book. One thing I've learned is that I have to let go of my ego. I have to let go of being the person that knows everything. I have to listen to instruction. I had to, uh, in order for me to grow in dependence upon God, I had to trust my program of recovery. I had to trust my fellows. That's the way I begin to learn of, uh, of, of dependence upon God. So it, for me, dependence grew as a process. For Bill, it was instantaneous. But for me, it, it has grown and uh, through working the program, through trusting in my fellows, from uh, diving into this program of recovery. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sharon. Anybody else like to comment on what was read? This is Paula Mashia. Please, go ahead. Thank you. I'd like to do that first line. That spark, the spark that was to flare into the first AA group, was struck at Akron, Ohio, in June 1935, during a talk between a New York stockbroker and an Akron physician, who we know both well, Bill W. and Dr. Bob. But that word, during a talk, there's no bribing, no crying, no carrying on. During a talk. What happened during that talk? And what does it say? The spark. When does the spark even look even brighter? In the darkness, the spark, and look what happened with that little spark. Spark is small, you know that. Was to flare into the first AA group. Thank you for allowing me to share. With that, I do pass. Thank you. Anyone else? It's Monica. Monica, please go ahead. Good morning, Leah. Go ahead, Monica. 
This is Monica. I am a compulsive overeater, and I know it. Um, I wanted to uh, just go a little further. The spark that was the flare. And like um, Paula just said, this is when Bill W. talks with Dr. Bob. And also the fact that uh, um, following a meeting with an alcoholic friend um, earlier, Bill had had this spiritual experience. And this alcoholic friend was Ebby Thatcher. And we will hear more about him. But what I wanted to say about this spark, this little spark that was to flare was a combination of of information that Bill had gotten. He'd gotten from Ebby that there needed to be a spiritual basis to this, that he needed a higher power to, re, to um, save him from this alcoholic disease. And also that he had learned from Dr. Silkworth of the physical nature of this disease, the allergy and the phenomenon of craving. And when with these two bits of information, when he meets Dr. Bob and talks with him, this is when it really flares because he brings to Dr. Bob the information of the allergy, the physical part of the disease, which Dr. Bob was not aware. He'd been trying only the, the spiritual uh, remedy. And it hadn't been working. But now he had the other missing information. That it was a disease, there was a physical aspect, and what could be done about that. And this is where that spark really flared, and we uh, will go on from there. And with that, I will pass. Thank you, Monica. Thank you very much. Yes, uh, this is Leah, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Just a couple comments here. Six months earlier, the broker had been relieved of his drink obsession by a sudden spiritual experience following a meeting with an alcoholic friend who had been in contact with the Oxford groups of that day. Focusing on that word relieved, again, uh, Bill experienced a freedom to be free from the burden of alcoholism, to be relieved to uh, be set free from the bondage, from the shackles, those chains of alcoholism. Uh, I'm sure many of you are familiar with Bill's story and the progression into the madness, madness of alcoholism where every facet of his life was deteriorating. And this broker had been relieved. He had a, you know, a, uh, a spiritual experience, a, a transformation, a conversion of his personality, transformation where old ideas and old attitudes were cast out to be dominated. He was now dominated by new ideas and new attitudes. And that obsession of the mind that always haunted him, always haunted him, was relieved. It was driven out. It was expelled. The problem was solved. And it says, six months earlier, the broker had been relieved of his drink obsession by a sudden spiritual experience. And that is exactly what happened. And, of course, we all know that Bill W. Um, died a sober man. You know, he died sober. Uh, now, further down in the paragraph from this doctor, the broker had learned the grave nature of alcoholism. Yes, Bill W. sat across the table from Ebby and learned about uh, spiritual uh, endeavors. Indeed, he did. Uh, but there was a, a major component missing in Bill's uh, process of learning about his disease, and that is 
the allergy of the body. And thank God for Dr. William Silkworth, who came along, AA refers to him as a medical saint. Dr. William Silkworth came along. He had worked with uh, thousands and thousands of alcoholics in the early part of the 20th century. He worked in a hospital, hospital that specialized in the treatment of alcoholism. And in his work with alcoholics, this Dr. Silkworth, our medical saint, uh, found that when alcoholics took even a little bit, even a little bit of alcohol into their system, this switch went on inside an alcoholic's body, and the only, there was only one thing that the alcoholic wanted to do, and that was drink more alcohol. When an alcoholic puts a little alcohol in his body, that sensation, never he's never satisfied. It only intensifies. It never satisfies. The same experience for me when I put certain binge foods in my body. It's like taking a match and throwing it into a bucket of gasoline. Whoosh! It just takes off. That's the grave nature of alcoholism, this allergy of the body. This allergy of the body, this phenomenon of craving that Dr. Silkworth taught about, and the obsession of the mind, the obsession of the mind, the greater aspect of the disease. Bill W. was learning about both aspects. He understood the problem from Dr. Silkworth, understood the problem. Ebby had talked about the solution, which is going to be to find God. And, of course, the program of recovery is going to be conceived. It's going to be born out of those pieces of information and Bill W.'s experience. And with that, I pass. Would anybody else like to comment on this wonderful paragraph? Yes, this is Kathy. I heard Kathy. I heard Kim. Let's go in that order. Kathy, please. Thank you, Leah. And this is Kathy from South Jersey, and I'm a compulsive overeater. And I'd like to talk about the and the necessary of belief in independence upon God. I have a strong belief in God, but I'm very aware that when picking up a substance that is that my body's allergic to, that's using this substance as depending upon a substance instead of the dependence upon God. And um, I'm praying daily that through studying this big book that I will come to depend upon God more than anything, anything at all, so that um, I can live a life free and be recovered. So I thank you. Thank you, Kathy. Kim, you're up. Hi, this is Kim. Go for it. Okay, thanks, Leah. Good morning, everyone, again. My name is Kim. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. And I, one of the things I love to do, I love to find the parts in the big book where it summarizes the steps. And we have it here in this, in this, um, in that last um, sentence. It said he was convinced for the need of moral inventory, step four, confession of personality defects, five, six, and seven, and restitution to those who had harmed, eight and nine. So that is the process. This is the application of these steps that's going to get us to recovered. And I love finding those summaries. But why would we be willing to do that? It talks about it being drastic proposals. Why are we willing to go through that process? It says he was convinced. We need to be convinced. We need to be convinced that we are um, that we have the allergy to the body, 
and the obsession of the mind, that we are powerless. And if we are powerless, then the answer is power. But once we understand the answer is power, we have to make that decision and then apply these steps. And this book lays it out beautifully. I mean, the first 70-something pages, the doctor's opinion up to around page in the early 60s, is just trying to convince us that we are powerless over the food and that with that being powerless that we need to find that power. And then we get into applying these steps, the action steps. And I love finding that part. So what is the answer? He was convinced of the need of moral inventory, the confession of personality defects, the restitution to those that harmed. And in that application, we can become recovered. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Anyone else? This is Janice. Please, Janice, go ahead. I just like to look at this paragraph in the larger picture that we are being given the stage, setting the stage. They're going to tell us what they're going to tell us. You know, hang on to your hats because the information that's coming after this is going to blow your socks off. You know, but they're telling us how it happened, setting us, giving us the background, telling us how it began. Remember, this is the second edition they're talking about. So this book has already been out there, circulating, giving hope to those who still suffered. But they're telling us it it grew even further than that. This is what happened. This is how it came about. But it's growing, growing, growing. They're going to tell us here how Bill W. found his spiritual experience and then how we can find ours. It's going to give us this information, this important information that Dr. Silkworth offered to us that explains something I could never explain, this allergy of my body. And I could embrace that information because I knew it was true for me. You know, and they say sometimes quickly, sometimes slowly, these spiritual experiences happen. For Bill W., it was sudden. It was sudden. Thank God it was sudden because he could start with that beautiful transformation. And for us, it may come slowly, maybe of the educational variety, but it can happen for us as well. And they're telling us that all these recovered people started just in the same place you and I are starting, with this volume, with these directions. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. And with that, we're compelled to read on. So let's move on to Paula, please. Paula, might you be available to read? There you go. This would be better now. I wouldn't talk just to myself. This would be Paula Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Prior to his journey to Akron, the broker had worked hard with many alcoholics on the theory that only an alcoholic could help an alcoholic. But he had succeeded only in keeping sober himself. The broker had gone to Akron on a business venture which had collapsed, leaving him greatly in fear that he might start drinking again. He suddenly realized that in order to save himself, He must carry his message to other alcoholics. That alcoholic turned out to be the Akron physician. Now, I'm going to scoot right on down to this last line. He suddenly, suddenly means all at once. All at once. Do you you ever have that moment when, ooh, 
some would say, dawn on Marblehead, perhaps, but all of a sudden realized. Now, realization is to impress on the mind. Ooh, it was already there. That in order to save himself, now it became very clear, he must carry his message to another alcoholic. And then it says clearly, that alcoholic turned out to be the Akron physician. Some would say, well, isn't that odd or God? May I answer that question? It will always be God. Thank you for allowing me to share. And with that, I do pass. Thanks, Paula. Anybody else on what was read? Jump in, the water's warm. Okay. Please. Hi, it's Penny. Penny, go ahead. Penny from Massachusetts. I'm reminded, reading this uh, part of the forward, that um, I once was able to hear Smitty, Dr. Bob's son, speak at a convention here in in Massachusetts. And uh, he made a point of how providential it was that two men from from um, rural Vermont, not from, not from the same cities, 100 miles apart is actually where they had come from, would meet in Akron, Ohio, and that they would be able to together be, be instrumental in founding this uh, organization that, of fellowship that extends all over the world to, to even third world countries. And it is it is it is miraculous as has been stated before. And I pass. Thank you. I'll jump in here. Uh, prior to his journey to Akron, the broker had worked hard with many alcoholics on the theory that only an alcoholic could help an alcoholic. But he had succeeded only in keeping sober himself. Look at that. You know. Uh, Actually, the big book talks about that on uh, page 89 where it says practical experience shows that nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. It works when other activities fail. Indeed, that's exactly what Bill Wilson was experiencing, that his emotional stability came from the communication, not from demanding any reward from anyone. It came in the communication, not any expectation of getting anything back from uh, his uh, prospects. He was staying sober. He was staying sober. That intensive work uh, was keeping him sober. Uh, Then it goes on to say here, he suddenly realized that in order to save himself, he must carry his message to another alcoholic. Again, that speaks to Step 12, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried, we tried to carry this message to other alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. You know, he was trying to carry that message. Now, his message, uh, just like any skill, was going to improve. It was going to improve. He was going to improve those sponsorship skills. What was happening was, you know, some some are getting it, some are not getting it. So what? Bill's staying sober. 
So he suddenly realized that in order to save himself, he must carry his message to another alcoholic. And we're going to read on, you know, about how he went to Dr. Bob. Now, Dr. Bill didn't go over to sober up Dr. Bob. Bill Wilson went over there to keep Bill Wilson from keep from getting drunk. Bill Wilson went over to Dr. Bob to keep Bill Wilson from getting drunk because he remembered back in New York City that every time he had tried to help another alcoholic, even though he had helped nobody, he, he was grabbing people by the collar, off the bar stools, you know, talking about spiritual conversion, talking about uh, some of these concepts of, you know, honesty and kindness and and compassion and understanding and forgiveness. And even though he had helped no one, he helped himself because he had emotional stability through that. He remained sober. So that's why he got hold of Dr. Bob, to keep Bill Wilson from getting drunk. Strenuous work, one alcoholic to another, because we carry a message of depth and weight. We carry a message of depth and weight. We are experts when it comes to this specific area because we have suffered in those pits of quicksand and we have been delivered. We've been rescued, not through our own success, through the glory of God, through what can happen when we allow God, when we cooperate with God's grace and allow God to revolutionize our life. So that's exactly what was happening here. Strenuous work, one alcoholic to another, vital to permanent recovery. Vital. One alcoholic sharing with another is vital to permanent recovery. Okay, and with that, I pass. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Sharon. Go ahead, Sharon. I um, I love the fact that when we look at the, the story of, of AA and how it evolved, it's a microsm or a macro, uh, uh, an example, I would say, of what's going to end up happening in our own individual lives. But what's exciting for me when I read this paragraph is to see that here a business venture had collapsed. And so uh, Bill is thinking, this is the end. I mean, this is, oh, my gosh, you know. And, and I get into that dark thinking, oh, you know, looking at the circumstances and, 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 and applying the circumstances to you know, just just going into that negative thinking and then thinking I need comfort and, and opening myself up. But here uh, we find that um, Bill had had this spiritual experience and he had a, a moment where he realized that he had a choice. He had, he, he realized that there was something better out there for him than he would have gotten if he had chose to pick up that drink. See, the the drink in the past was his option. That was what he always picked up. That's where he always went. It was automatic. But by the grace of God, he had that little window where he could see clearly that he had a different choice. He had a different option. And, And so... Out of that collapse of the business venture, 
he saw that he had he 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 the light was still there that that spiritual experience and he chose a different way a different option what i see in in this uh his experience there is that i'm getting back to that dependence upon god that it talked about in that last the necessity of belief and dependence upon God. He had had a spiritual experience. He knew that if he depended upon God, he could get to where he needed to go. He could get comfort and relief that would come outside, not from the bottle, but that there was a different source of comfort and relief that could get him through the hard times in his life. And so instead of reaching for the bottle, he really was holding on to his dependence upon God. And, and the other thing that I see in that is that the collapse of that business venture, oftentimes I look at things in, in, uh, not in spiritual form, but in the natural. Oh, this collapse, so now this, this, this is going to happen. Instead of looking at it, from the point of view that God can see me through, that dependence upon God. So here we see an example of what can happen for us when we depend upon God. We don't have to worry about what's actually happening in our individual lives, what doesn't look like it's happening right. But God can make great things come out of collapses, out of things that go wrong in our lives. And with that, I pass. Thanks, Sharon. Anyone else on this paragraph? Well, since we're close to uh, wrapping up the meeting, I'll just comment again on this paragraph briefly before we close. I just want to talk about uh, this statement here. Okay, the broker had gone to Akron on a business I can't hear you, Leah. Leah, we can't hear anything. I think you cut out, Leah. Thank you. Okay, thank you for that. I'm back. Um, just because we're going to wrap the meeting in a second, I will comment uh, again on this paragraph here for a moment. Um, I just wanted to comment here. The broker had gone to Akron on a business venture which had collapsed, leaving him greatly in fear that he might start drinking again. He suddenly realized that in order to save himself, he must carry his message to another alcoholic. I just wanted to comment, Bill is recovered. Bill had a spiritual experience in which during that process, uh, yes, it was rapid, but that obsession of the mind was driven out. He was relieved of the problem. He was now an ex-problem drinker. Now, uh, that doesn't mean he's not subject to and subject of life. He certainly is. He had a business venture which had collapsed. Perhaps that led to some disappointment or some, uh, you know, uh, you know, f lowered feelings, let's say, uh, it leaving him greatly in fear that he might start drinking again. The difference here, people, is a reminder to all of us. Step two came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Bill had been restored to sanity. Because of that, he has a choice to make. 
because he has been restored to sanity, restored to sanity by a power greater than himself, not the intellect, not human aid, not self-knowledge. He had been restored to sanity by a power greater than himself. He now suddenly realizes that in order to save himself, he must carry his message to another alcoholic. He has a choice, something he did not have before. But now due to being recovered, doing, due to being restored to sanity, having soundness of mind, being relieved of the obsession to pick up, being freed from the beast of alcoholism, he has a choice that he can make. And indeed, he takes action on that choice. He pursues Dr. Bob. He pursues Dr. Bob. And in fact, it took up to 10 calls. The 10th call, he got to Dr. Bob. So again, very important to, for all of us to know that he has been restored to sanity, and because of that restoration of his mind, sanity, soundness of mind, full use of one's cap- capabilities, an understanding and an acceptance of one's disabilities, he now has a choice. He has a choice either to stay in self-centeredness, to stay in the discouragement, to stay in the fear to stay in the lowered feelings due to that business venture which had collapsed, to stay in self-centeredness and selfish thinking, or to go to God-centered thinking, God-centered. How can I be used? How can I be used? How can I utilize? How can I be a servant? How can I be an instrument? And indeed, he makes that decision. Restored to sanity. Restored to sanity. Soundness of mind. Relieved of the obsession. And with that, I pass, and we are at the end of our meeting, so I'm going to ask Monica, please, to read from page 164. If Monica's not available, could Rick please read from page 164? I'm here. I'm sorry. This is Monica. I am a compulsive overeater. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.